Hi everyone, I just wanted to start this um, 4.0 episode um, with a little bit of a content warning. Um, We do talk quite a lot about mental health issues, um, up to and including suicide. If that's not the kind of thing you're in the mood to listen to right now, you might want to skip this one. But uh, hopefully you are in the mood, because it's a pretty awesome episode. Alright, thanks, let's get into it. How are you doing, Melissa? Yeah, good. I'm good. Um, we had dinner with my mum. We did it with Granny, which is excellent. Beautiful. Yeah, and then I did this gig last night um, at the what was it called? The West Auckland Football Club. Oh. Yeah, it was like a fundraiser. But, um, okay, yeah. who who was organising that? Was that um, Luke Stopford? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Oh, so you'd have been there with Taryn Moen by as well then? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It was really fun. I bought raffle tickets. Did you win? I got, I got involved. No, I didn't win anything. <laughs> like I bought three tickets for $5 and the guy gave me four. So that's how you get paid in comedy these days. Comedy payments. <laughs> well, it's good. I like doing those random kind of gigs. Because it's like, I don't have a huge repertoire of jokes, right? So it's kind of a case of how do you make the jokes that you have work for this, like, Mm. you know, sporty group of people and their wives. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, I went all right. I mean, I just kind of hoped that the um, wives would (laughs) find it funny. (laughs) <laughs> and the husbands would kind of laugh along. But it was good. It was fun. Our so, green room was in the coach's office. And we oh, had oh. these like two, we had like two platters and it had like hummus and pestos and crackers and cheese. And then there was like a chili bin with drinks in it. Wow. I was like, this is great fun. But uh, so did it go well overall, the gig? Yeah, I think it did. Yeah. And you enjoyed your part in it. Oh, hell yeah. I was first up. Oh, <laughs> get out there. <laughs> I was like, and I could just relax with the rest of it and laugh with all the other comedians. Did Luke Stopford do some gig? Did he do he, comedy? He did, yeah. He What's did he like? Because I only really know I know of him being a comedian from way back, but the only time I've ever met him is at the Covert Theatre where he's also an improv performer. So yeah. I've never seen him do comedy. Yeah, I mean, I've never I've never met him before, so, but I thought he did all right. He's yeah. associated with the club, so anything he yes. does is going to be amazing anyway, right? That's right. Yes, they don't know him. So. That's well, right. Or they'll give him a harder time. Correct. Nah, <laughs> got, into got into it. Well, that's good. So in that case, you have a rough idea of how it goes, and you've seen the Google Doc. Um, and obviously, if you say anything um, that you weren't happy with, and you realise. What I'll probably try and do is um, edit this either tonight or tomorrow um, yeah. and get it out straight away. But if there's anything you think to yourself, oh, I wish I hadn't said that before yeah. it goes out, feel free to just message me on Facebook and I'll make sure that that bit is removed if I can, mm. and, uh, if it's not too late. Um, but normally people don't do that. So yeah. they obviously don't feel they need to. 
Um, but we'll start we off did have of... it once, didn't we? We did have it once on a political one where the guy contacted us later that night and went, oh, I'm not sure that's going to come across right. Is there any chance you can yeah, We've done it twice. Out? Yeah, we've done it once for a comedian and once for, oh, for, yes. once for an ACT Party candidate. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'll say no more because I'm going to leave this bit in. <laughs> Don't be so bad. You just couldn't help that little punch to it. The right of the right of politics, could you? <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he's a, he, he's a good guy, really. Despite that, um, the good news is at least the right of comedy turn up for interviews. The left seem to be sadly lacking when it comes to wanting to be interviewed by anybody. Well, I'm not very political. How do you mean? <laughs> well, where's Labour? Never turned up to anything. Oh, you mean the, polit- the politicians? <laughs> politicians, yeah. Well, to be honest, I haven't pushed pushed that too hard. I don't want to burn my bridges too soon uh, in that space. Anyway, um, so Darren, who's going to read out? Do you want me to read out um, Melissa's intro, or would you prefer to? I don't mind. I can do it if you want. All right, you do it. You I can try and do one of my uh, one of my intros. At least, uh, are we calling this episode two? I think you called the other one episode one, didn't you? So. This would be episode two, wouldn't it? Well, no, I was actually thinking, and Melissa, you can help us decide of this, maybe, mm-hmm. as, as a regular listener, uh, if this isn't too boring for you and our listeners. <laughs> yeah. um, I was wondering, because we've actually, this will actually be our 40th episode, like the big four row. Yeah. yeah. And I feel like we should celebrate that. So I think we should call it episode 40. Yeah. I like that. I like, the, I like being associated with the 40th episode. There we go. You know, I call it yes. the 40th. Episode 40. My God. How how are people still listening? I think it's because of our guests. I don't think it's because of us. I think it's because of our No, we get much fewer listeners when it's just us. (laughs) Yeah, no surprise. (laughs) All right, so I'll let you do the intro, uh, and then I'll do the um, first questions, which will be based on what you're expecting in your intro. Welcome to the Podcrastinators, episode 40. And today's guest is a graduate of the New Zealand Comedy School, a semi-finalist in the Raw Comedy Quest in 2020 and 2022, with a style that is both observational and expressive. She started out in sketch comedy with the Otago Uni Capping Show and various performances at the Wellington Fringe Festival. In 2007, she performed comedy dance for Tap That, at the 2007 Dance Your Socks Off Festival at the Bats Theatre and sequel Tap That to the Reckoning. Welcome to today's show, Melissa Catherine. Hello. Yes, Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's good to have you here. So I, I have got a question about the intro, actually. Possibly right. more than one. So um, first of all, what is the capping show? Oh, my God. All right. So the capping show is an annual event that's held via Otago Uni to kind of celebrate the graduation period. And it's a review-style sketch comedy show. And, yeah, it's been running for, like, over 100 years or something. And um, it's this real kind of, like, institution that's really neat. And, like, you've got a great community vibe to it as well as having this great comedy vibe to it. And, um, yeah, I, I did it... If, if my um, years and my memory is correct, my first time I did the capping show was Josh Thompson's last time. Mm. And I think that 
Sam Smith. Is it Sam Smith? Yes. Yes. His yep. first capping show is the one after my last one. Yeah. So it's that kind of era. And so lots of people have done it and not everyone is like, you know, still in comedy or whatever. But yeah, it's a really good place to kind of meet different people and um yeah, start learning about writing comedy. So you have it's to really, be associated with the university to do that. I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was. Sorry, that's Darren, you're not gonna jump off down to Dunedin just to do the capping show, I'm afraid. So yeah, that's um you you answer, you answered my supplementary questions there then oh. about whether other fam- whether famous people are they famous? I don't know. Are you famous yet? Fam- <laughs> no, you're not, no. I wouldn't say I'm famous. No. It was a rhetorical question. Yeah. Um, but I, but a number of sort of famous comics have been through it then, um, yeah. which is really cool. Yeah. And um, did that kind of, before you did that, did you want to do some kind of comedy or performance uh, or did you just kind of fall into it by chance? I've always kind of tinkered around with comedy, like always. It's like the thing that I find the most interesting thing, you know, like when you're a family get together and stuff and you're just watching you know, someone tell funny stories and how someone else laughed at it and stuff. And and then, like, I remember watching MASH when I was, like, three or four and trying to figure out, like, why do people laugh at Hawkeye? Do you know what I mean? Because mm. the other, you, you can tell, like, with the other characters, quite a lot of the comedy is kind of physical. So, like, why does a laugh track happen with Hawkeye and stuff? And then, like, at one of my primary schools, we had, like, a Friday afternoon, like, skit comedy night or skit comedy day and um I used to love doing that I used to write like parodies of ads that I'd seen on tv and yeah so I've just I've always kind of enjoyed comedy always and then I guess I you know by the time I got to university and this capping show thing was there it was um it was like a logical thing to basically play around with and it was great it really was so tap that and tap that too. Is that also comedy linked as well? Mm. Yeah. So when that happened, I was I moved back up to Wellington, and um, I was flatting with all these people that went to Toy, Bacardi, the drama school, and then like we were hanging out one night and everyone's kind of drinking, and one of our friends used to teach tap dancing to like little kids. And then she was like, I reckon I could teach you guys how to tap dance. And we were like, I don't reckon. Oh, my God, that is my cat banging on the door. Sorry, just a second. I'll just open it. Cat wants a spot on the show as well. Not happy with being missed out. The last podcast I used to do, this, the science fiction writing one, um, we always used to get interrupted by cats. <laughs> cats have got an attention thing, haven't they? They need to be involved. When you're yeah. doing something, yeah. Um, yeah, so we're all sort of drinking one night and then my friend's like, I reckon I could teach you guys to do tap dancing. We were like, oh, yeah, that'd be a great idea. And then like two days later, we were at some community hall in Karori and like we're all learning to tap dance. And by the end of it, because all of these people are like actors and things like that, it was somehow decided that we were going to do a comedy tap dance show. <laughs> and it was so much fun. It really was. And people really responded to it. Because you could, um, like, we opened to Pulp Common People. Oh, yeah. Like, that was our opening song. And then another one was, like, Rehab. 
by Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse, mm. yeah. It's just like people get into it. They're like, oh, yeah, they're playing that kind of music. And it so was fun. Yeah. If somebody says, I can teach you guys to tap dance, right, how yeah. does that turn into a comedy show and who writes it? Like, did you all, like, collectively write this concept of a comedy tap show? Yeah, we just kept going to rehearsal, like, every week, a couple of times a week. And then, like, you'd sit there and then you go, oh, I reckon this track would be quite good to learn to tap dance to, um, including No Diggity. Mm. Also. Uh, that was great. And then it was kind of like you did just sort of move to the to the how the song went and try and sort of come up with a character in it. Um, there was one where the three boys did um, Pussycat Dolls and they just did this like total like sex pot video and it was fucking great. Yeah. So we just kind of played with that. Um, and then obviously the person who actually was teaching us tap dancing. She was the one that was like teaching us how to actually make the music. Um, yeah, no, it was great. That's how I met my husband too. Oh, was he a performer as well? Yeah, my husband. Um, he went to toy. Um, and the first, in the first tap uh, tap that he was just operating the lights, but he was actually in the show the second time round. Yeah. And does he still do performance now, or of any yep. nature? Yeah, he still um, does, he picks up acting jobs. He's doing um, a bit more voice work now, like trying to do more ads and corporate videos. And Yeah. Oh, cool. Wow, then. So he's, yeah, a pro- he's a professional. Something I did not know. He's a professional. <laughs> mm. whereas, you're not, whereas you're not yet. You get paid in record tickets, we heard before. That's right. Yeah. I think I got 15 bucks once. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I know. That's- Genuinely pretty good, actually, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I actually saw the other day, I think first time pointed out that the Raw Comedy Quest now mm-hmm. that very stipulates that if you've been paid for comedy at all, you can no longer enter. Yeah, that's true. Ah. Yeah. Well, I can the... still enter then because I've still never been paid. <laughs> <laughs> are, you are, your qu- are your quizzes yeah. comedy? <laughs> no. No. If you ask the regulars, they would say no. <laughs> I might have a difference of opinion, but there we go. You did um, sketch comedy in Wellington for a while, not just um, tap that. Yeah, so after Cabin Show, um, I had like quite a good group of mates and then we all kind of ended up in Wellington. And so it was like, oh, why don't we try and take some of that stuff that we did at Cabin Show and do it in a sketch comedy? Um, kind of a thing and I can't remember if we did like fringe festivals or if we did comedy festivals but um, this is the story I want to tell you guys that I've never actually told the story it's going to be quite funny to me um, yeah so we do this sketch comedy and like it actually the first time we did it it went off like people fucking loved it we did it at the um, was the San Francisco bathhouse I don't know if it's still that now oh um, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, still it does yeah so then, um, then about like two days after we um, closed the show, me and my other mate from the sketch comedy show, we're sitting at the Matterhorn. 
yeah. which was now is that still there in Wellington? It must be. No, I think that's gone. It's a great bar as well. It's great, eh? What an amazing bar. So we're yeah. sitting out there on the patio, and um, um, obviously it's like chain smoking and drinking and chatting. <laughs> And then, like, I can see behind my friend, just kind of to the left, is Holly Smith. Right. Now, Holly Smith, you guys know who she is. Please tell me you know who Holly Smith is. I have no idea. Darren is frantically Googling, whereas I'm happy to admit I don't know who she is. No, isn't she a singer? She is a singer, and she is absolutely fucking gorgeous. Yes. She's just one of those people you see in public and it's like, holy shit, you are the most gorgeous thing ever. And so she's sitting over there and she's chatting to a friend. And so I'm chatting to my friend and occasionally I'm like, yeah, Holly Smith is amazing looking and then chatting to my friend and then Holly Smith is amazing looking and then chatting to my friend. (laughs) And then, um, then this other couple come in and then they're sitting behind Holly Smith and I'm watching this other couple to see if they recognize Holly Smith, but they don't seem to recognize her. And then... Six members of the Black Caps come in. Six <laughs> members of the Black Caps. And they go around and they're sitting at the back. And then, like, my head's now exploding because I'm like, is Holly Smith going to recognize the Black Caps or are the Black Caps going to recognize? No, what is it? Like, what's it going to happen? And then, like, by the way, they were smoking too. Like, I was like, hmm, interesting. You see the man on the town? Like, real people. Anyway, so at one point, Holly Smith gets up and leaves, and I did see the Black Caps notice Holly Smith, so I thought that was kind of amazing. Um, and as Holly Smith was leaving, that couple that had arrived, they came in, and they walked up to me, and they're like, excuse me, <laughs> you that chick from that sketch comedy show like a few nights ago? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. It's true. It is 100% true. I was like, you have just seen the Black Caps. You have just seen Holly Smith. And I'm the one. Oh, that's. I'll never be more famous. I don't think I can ever be more famous than that. I tell you what, Matt. Go back. We've got to go back and edit the start of this podcast where we ask Melissa if she's famous. She's more famous than I know. Pretty I'm much most people in New Zealand. More famous than most people in New Zealand. That is certainly fame. I, I spent most of that story frantically googling Holly Smith pictures and then Black Cat pictures, and then I realised it's on my WhatsApp. And then I realised I'm on my, well, Black Cats. First of all, when I Googled Black Cats, it came up with Sunderland FC. Oh, yeah. That's their nickname, uh, football club. Wait. And then I realised I was on my work laptop and I really shouldn't be Googling images of Holly Smith. <laughs> it's a little bit embarrassing if our IT guy notices. So, Melissa, you've obviously travelled about. Uh, where are you originally from? Uh, well, I'm born and raised New Zealand. So I was born in Christchurch. And then my family moved up to Hamilton and then my brother was born in Hamilton. And then um, my parents moved to South Auckland. We lived in Mangarei and I went to Papatoetoe North Primary School. And this was like the era of rogenomics. So this is the era where interest rates are really, really high. So my parents were quite young. And so like money was like really, really tight and all that. And then eventually, um, my dad, who had been working as an electrician, he got a job as a lighting director at the Our Tears Centre when it had just been built. And so that he managed to move into this job that paid slightly more. So we moved to Howick at that point. And so then I went to my second primary school and then my parents split up and then my mum got made redundant 
And so then I went to, we moved down to Wellington and I spent a couple of weeks at a primary school in New Plymouth, um, well, not New Plymouth, it's Oakuda Primary School. And then I spent three months at Nairo School. So I went to four primary schools. But then I went to high school in um, Wellington and then I, yeah, then I went down to Dunedin to do uni. So, yeah, moved around a bit. I was going to say, did, did was your family moving around or any of your sort of moving into comedy or performance related to anything that your family did or is this just something that you picked up? It's kind of something that I picked up, I think. Um, like nobody in my family is really, no one's ever sort of artistic or anything like that. Like, so my mum is English. So she, they came to um, New Zealand like when my mum was 10, so around the 70s, right? So technically I'm the child of immigrants. Um, but like they were very blue collar. But in order to like survive, you sort of ended up having to become white collar. So that's kind of like the, the sort of trajectory of like my family history. So we, by the time I come along and I get to high school, you know, I'm the one that has to go to university, you know, like you're the one that's smart enough. Like we've moved, mm -hmm. <laughs> we've moved from like welding jobs to, um, you know, accounting. And now you're going to be the uni person. So where I thought your performance stuff was going to come from is when you said your dad had become writing director at the ATS Centre. I kind of thought, oh, you're going to be one of those kids that hung around at, behind stages and at theatres well, and stuff like that, and that's kind of how it was going to come about. Well, Darren, it's funny you should say that because that was very formative. I did get to hang around backstage. And they used to have this, like, um, they used to have this, I think you would probably call it like a scissor lift, and they had, like, designed it to look like Thunderbird 2. And so, like, I got to ride up and down on this scissor lift, which is like, it just goes, mm, like, you know, when you're six or seven, you're like, this is the best. And um, that is actually, you know, being a kid that loves TV and being a kid that, you know, always wants to watch what's funny, that when I got the opportunity to hang backstage or sit in the audience or sit in the lighting box, that was a time to kind of like see how it all comes together. And I still have like very vivid memories, very vivid memories. Like I remember being in the side stage for Swan Lake. Um, and it was like amazing because, you know, these ballerinas come on and they just move like otherworldly creatures and the light's really bright and you can see the dust kind of moving around moving around them and then the piece finishes and they just walk off like normal people yeah. you know what i mean they just kind of walk you're like jeez it, it was just cool i got to see cats <laughs> when i came to the rt center and everyone was like oh melissa finally this could be one that you're going to really like and it was like hyped <laughs> up to the max and you're sitting there going i have no idea what's happening yes and i just thought i was dumb i was like i don't i don't get Cats. I don't understand what really happened. No, um, it's 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 mad, isn't it? Cats. Like even with the most yeah. recent the film release, I don't know if you listen to Tom Tim Bat and uh, Guy Montgomery's podcast where they yeah, kind of they watched it and it's like I don't think anyone knows what's going on in Cats. Yeah, it's just bizarre. 
but I just thought, you know, like as a seven-year-old, oh, man, cats is like too smart for me, eh? Like, <laughs> I don't get it, man. <laughs> that was a bit like me the first time I ever went to ballet. I was like, I have no idea what's going on here. I don't know. Were you performing or watching? I was definitely watching. There, there was no, you don't want to see me dance any type of dance, especially ballet. So I had no idea. I walked out and I was just like, man, I have no idea what just happened the last two hours. Mm. <laughs> Although yeah. I was in Russia as well, so that probably didn't help. But you were in Russia, did you say? I was in Russia, yes. Oh. Watching okay. the ballet, watching the Bolshoi. I was watching Russian ballet, yeah, in um, St. Petersburg, wow. of all places. So, I'd love to yeah. do that. Yeah, amazing experience, but yeah, no <laughs> idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah, amazing experience despite the fact despite the fact i had no idea what was going on <laughs> which you know is like watching cats when you're seven so we've come back a full circle so darren you might want to ask the next question <laughs> oh i i can do i've got i've kind of got I, so um you obviously did all this stuff in 2007 right which you know around the uh you know the wellington fringe and that and all that so what, what's going on from 2007 onwards with you and performance? Are you still mm. doing bits of stuff or did you take a bit of a break? Uh, because me and Matt probably then probably catch up with your story around 2019, 2020. Yeah. When you're, when you're in the raw quest. So is there anything going on between those, those years? Well, I, you know, to kind of throw back to when I was like at uni and I'm messing around with comedy and I'm doing like things like 48 hour film festival. And I had all these like little projects that I was always doing, always had like a little creative outlet, but you know, and, and this is kind of like the other part of what I can talk about is that this was also a time where I started to really be quite unwell. You know, that was when I started to, um, just realised that I just always had this kind of strange kind of feeling and I couldn't quite, you know, everyone around me seemed to have everything together and all I kind of had was like, oh, I'm doing a fun show with some friends. <laughs> and other people are like, really? Well, I've just passed the bar or something. And so that kind of continued and I would sort of be up and down in my 20s. And then kind of around that time that, you know, I'm doing the dance show, that is when I when I met my husband and, that was when I things started to get sort of even worse as well. Like I started to get like really dark and kind of getting, finding it really hard to like leave the house, sometimes finding it really hard to talk, sometimes um, like, fuck, I wasn't eating. That was another thing. Like I barely ate anything. And, you know, but it will just like get up at 11 o'clock in the morning, watch like Harry's practice on TV One have a cup of coffee, smoke cigarettes and see if I go down to the dairy and buy some synthetic cannabis or something. Like it was a dark, dark time. Um, but the good thing was that I did have my husband and I did have like a good, you know, I did have sort of like a good network of people around me that I did end up going to a doctor. But so this is around 2007, 2008. I went to the doctor and they said that I had some sort of like anxiety disorder because I was also having panic attacks and stuff then I got put onto antidepressants about about that time 
which is why everyone gets put on antidepressants. So it's not like really an unusual thing. But I did start to kind of get better. I did try and do stand up once around that time. Um, I wrote, I, I didn't, I didn't occur to me that I should write jokes and go on stage. <laughs> I just like had a bullet list of things I could talk about. And then I like, called my name and I walk on and I was like, oh, fuck, should have had some jokes. Terrible idea. But then um, I moved to Auckland around that time. Um, then I had two kids. Then I was made about after working that job for like eight years or something, eight, nine years. Um, I got made redundant from that job, which was fine. So about the time that you meet me is like probably about six months after I was made redundant. And I was like, well, I've been in this like dark place before. So I'll just stay at home. I'll water blast the deck. I'll watch comedy. <laughs> just this kind of stuff. And um, I ended up, my friend recommended that I watch this thing called The Trial of Tim Heidecker, which is, um, it's, quite, it's a whole world. I mean, it's a kind of complicated, but essentially it's like this three-hour YouTube clip where Tim Heidecker's on trial and I think in the trial it's because he like killed teenagers with vapes or something like it's it's the most bizarre thing but I just thought it was fucking brilliant like it's so funny and then I went deep into the like on cinema at the cinema kind of world and stuff but there was this one guy in it and um this guy's called Greg Turkington and his comedy is kind of like anti-comedy. He has this character called Neil Hamburger. And he oh, like gets yeah, up, yeah. yeah, he gets up on stage and he has like glasses, like, like he's got always got drinks under his arm and then he sort yeah. of croons and stuff. I just thought it was fucking brilliant. Then, like about two weeks after that, it turns out that he was doing a gig at Whammy Bar. <laughs> and I was like, well, I have to go, right? How often do you just discover someone and then it turns out that they're going to be here in a month or something so I went to that and I was on the <laughs> I was on like the second row and it's like all these like cool uni students and then me <laughs> looking the way I do and then when he was performing I, I just it was so good like I loved it so much and there was a point where he like directed a line at me and he sort of gestured in my direction and I mean, I'm not into this kind of like fate or destiny thing, but it was like something in me at that moment when I've got to do Santa. That's what that's what it is. Mm. And then then like a week, um, like a week or two later, Tim Bat's like, oh, I'm doing a comedy course. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess I'm gonna do that. Yeah. So that's kind of like. Yeah, that's sort of really how it actually started in earnest. And the good thing about stand-up is, like, I don't have to rely on a sketch comedy group, you know. No. I don't have to be involved in the politics of, like, who gets how many laugh lines and, you know, who gets to be in which sketch and stuff. You know, it lives and dies off me. And it's very but, liberating. Was that about 2019-ish then? Or was that 2020? Because I remember, were, were you market doing marketing or something? Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember do. that conversation. Yeah. 
I'm sure right. I saw your first gig, at, your first raw gig. And I remember thinking, it was either your first or your second one. And I remember everyone thinking about how polished you were as we were set up in the balcony watching compared to a lot of new people. And we thought, well, she's not new. <laughs> not in a bad way. It's just... We thought yeah. we knew you must have some performance stuff in your background. How did you find the New Zealand Comedy School? Was that the thing that really gave you to, to springboard to go on and do it? Was that, that whole how you shape a joke, write a joke? Was, was that really the one thing that... It's the... Um, so it, there's always debates about whether or not a comedy school is worthwhile or anything like that. But it wasn't, you know, an exorbitant amount of money. It was only a couple hundred bucks. So I was like, it's worth a punt, right? What I found really useful was that you're in an environment where you are really safe. Like you can kind of mess up and you can be as shitty as you like. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's a playground in a way. It's a, you just get to play. Um, and then you kind of learn, yeah, you learn that stuff around, you know, how you shape a joke. But you may already know that, you know, most people know, you know, set up punchline tag and you, you kind of know the rule of threes and um, some people won't and that's fine and that's their space to learn that. But the other part of it is the demystification of it. You know, like we are, we did like one, two hours of like moving the mic stand. Yes. At one point. And I was like, okay, well, this isn't great. But shit, it made a difference. Like when you actually go to a bar and you know exactly how to hold that thing and where to move it and when to pick it up again because it, it's become second nature to you. Whereas you don't, you know, you can still do that as you're gigging and open mics. It, that doesn't change. The other thing about it is you also um, meet other people that are similar to you and they're often interested and similar things to you you know so I still kind of um you know like Amy Bird and Jess Karamjee they were in the class with me and that you've always got this like level of solidarity with that crew <laughs> and you yes. don't really lose it because <laughs> we were all like figuring it out yes yeah, interesting I was just about to ask who else was in the group with you and are they still doing it now um because ironic that's where me and Matt met was at the New Zealand Comedy yeah. School yeah because so, you did it the year, I think you did the course before me with Neil. Uh, yes, I think we yeah, did think in 2019. October 19, and I think our graduation was December 19, I think. Yeah, so we were February 20, no, January 2020. We graduate oh, in either the end of February or the beginning of March. I go out there, do my first bar gig, and then it's like <laughs> no comedy for anyone. That's right. Mm. It was locked down, yeah. We had a similar problem because our graduation was December. The world of comedy closes the middle of December to the end of Jan. So there was no gigs anywhere to do. And then, as you say, mm. come the end of February, the whole world has kind of capitulated. So. Yeah. And then it's like you came, well, then when we were opening up in 2020, it's like, oh, I haven't really done anything and I don't yes. really know. So you <laughs> kind of rewrite things because that's all you can do but you don't know if it works. And then it's like, cool, but this is your entry into the raw quest. And you go, oh, okay, oh, right. And then there's that kind of pressure because you don't want to change your raw set too much. But at the same time, you haven't really had much of a chance to test it. And oh, it's, a, it's a really strange feeling. Yeah. 
I think anyone who started comedy in late 2019 to sort of 2020 should be able to completely restart their comedy career if they want oh. right now because okay. I'll do <laughs> you know we've had a real kind of even if we've done loads of gigs it's been a kind of it's just been so weird and inconsistent for everyone mm. very inconsistent yeah I don't really think that by the way just to be clear but I think it would be uh be an interesting experiment to say right we can reset do the comedy school again mm. go out there again as if no one had seen us before how did you find comedy school I thought it was great yeah. um it definitely helped me to so I didn't want to do stand-up comedy even when I signed up for the school really? I just wanted to no I mean I do a lot of presentations and things in my day job and I just thought I'd help myself polish up my and I was you know making people laugh and stuff like that in them and I thought I'd just learn a few tricks but that, yeah. that graduation show kind of really made me made me addicted <laughs> mm. it's like that when you start doing comedy whether it be through a school or just open mics the first thing you're learning is how to fucking ride your own adrenaline mm. that's it that is the that's like the gate in to the playground you've got to learn how to but you were right Melissa you come out of the comedy school in February March then we go into lockdown then we come out of lockdown around about May June and then you're trying to get people to put you on open mics when no one's ever seen or heard of you yeah. realistically yeah, I mean, but no, that the, the raw quest is there. Yes, because, yes. I mean, you can again, you can debate till the cows come home as to whether or not you can compete in comedy. That's one thing, but it's still a place that's pretty safe. Yeah, again, that you can just play with stuff and you can figure things out, and you know, and if you if you go up there with like hate speech, you know, you put your best anti-Semitic jokes up there the room will destroy you so <laughs> you know what I mean it's it's still pretty good yeah it's yes. self-managing in that way the audiences will generally let you know what's not cool yeah as it should be as it should be yeah exactly freedom if you haven't worked it out well, yourself that is yeah yes. not free, it's not freedom from consequences mm. so uh just have to be prepared for them Darren no I'm yes. just joking <laughs> what I'm interested in, Melissa, is how have you found stand-up comedy versus sketch comedy versus tap uh, dance comedy? You know, what what's your favourite format? I think stand-up comedy is absolutely my best art form. It's the place that I can, like I said, if I think of something, I can put it down. I can fiddle with it. On paper, I can sit with a notepad and I can like play with the language of it. And then I can go up on stage and I can see if I can move it differently. I can put like that level of detail of like whether or not you emphasize a particular syllable, whether or not you, you know, change your voice as you go through is just like it's there, it's just the best feeling. It's the best feeling. It feels like the right thing. It's not that, um, like, I certainly don't feel like I go up there and I'm like, well, I, I know how it all works. I don't. I never know how it's going to work. <laughs> but it, the, the figuring it out is just the best. Like, you're just constantly tinkering around with language and stagecraft and how you interact with an audience. 
and it's all me if I fuck it up it's me and that's really empowering but like when you get to sketch comedy so like I did I started doing capping and um sketch comedy in the early 2000s right so this is a time where we've you know you've had women in comedy right You've, you've had that vibe you've had people um saying you know women can be funny and look how it goes right but what you didn't have was the kind of the offstage stuff like you didn't have that um you know how to interact you know how to be not a dick to women and all this kind of stuff and so I've seen that you know like I've I've been in comedy in that place um but now it's like, so yeah, when you're doing sketch in that environment, you have to be in an environment with other people. And there's the politics of that can just get really, really, really complicated. And then you're always kind of pulling something away from yourself to add to someone else. And it's not that that's not great, but sometimes I know what's funny. And I know that you don't know what's funny and I do, but I have to battle to get that on stage mm. and you know like I said I I mean I rolled with people who were like smart and like great people but and you still had that kind of conversation nowadays I think there's probably a little bit of that I haven't done sketch in a long time um but nowadays I hear people talking about you know women and um you know not having barriers to entry and it, it's just the greatest thing. It's like, you know, the young comedians, the young male comedians that are out there, the way they talk about women is like, fuck, this is, this is just so good. I'm so impressed by it. I'm genuinely yeah. impressed. So it's nice to kind of come back to that and then be in this thing where I can, you know, do my own stuff and I can feel pretty safe about it. Um. So that's kind of the difference. I don't, I mean, I don't know if I'd ever not do sketch comedy again, but it's like the stand-up now is great. Have you ever thought of doing improv? I, would, I just don't have time. <laughs> I don't have time. And it's like, don't you guys, because you do improv, part of you, eh? Well, Darren does it. I've kind of dropped out because <laughs> of lack um, of time. And then I feel like I would probably get to zone and then not care about the other performers. I'd be like, look mm. at all my hilarious stories. Yeah, it's two very different forms. Um, mm. You know, obviously when you're on stage doing improv, as you were saying before, and sketch, you're kind of living and dying together on stage as a collective or, or, or as a group, however many of you are in the sketch. The mm. great difference between the two is when I'm doing stand-up comedy and going to a gig, all I'm thinking about on the way is the set, the set, the set, the set. The whole way there. Yeah. If anyone's in the car with me, shut up. I'm trying to think. Um, but when, when I'm driving to improv, I'm like, you can put music on as loud as you want. I don't care because I have no idea what's going to happen tonight. So it's a different kind of freedom. Um, Stand up, probably more satisfying when it works because it's, as you said earlier, it's your own mm-hmm. work. You've lived and died by that piece of work. You've created it. You know, you've spent a lot of time honing it and stuff like that. So from that perspective, stand-up probably has the highest satisfaction when it really works. Um, but very interesting how the two, how you are with the two different formats. Yeah. Do you know, I did this workshop with Al Jaguar, Derek. Right? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he said, 
something which totally changed my way of thinking, which just kind of relates to that whole thinking about your set, thinking about your set and like stressing about it and stuff. And he was like, yeah, when you get on stage, just remember, you know your jokes. You know them. The first thing you need to do when you get there is be in the room with those people. And then it starts. And just you just interacting with those people. And I mean, this is from a guy that like does pretty amazing crowd work, right? But that kind of helped me to be less stressed out because it's like I I know my jokes. I've done them. So I'm just gonna be here. I'm just gonna be with these people and have a good time. Yeah. And yeah, that was a big difference for me. You made the raw semi-finals in both 2020 and 2022. How did you feel about the two different times? Was the first time super exciting because it was like relatively early? Or the second time were you like, actually, I'm feeling like I've kind of got this shit now? Talk to us about those two different experiences. Well, the first time was, again, that's the lockdown time, right? And I still felt way out of my depth. I felt way out of my depth. And so that's quite nervous. Um, the second time around, I think because I had had that experience of feeling out of my depth, I was a little bit more like, not that I didn't care, but that I didn't have the same stress right, the second time. And um, there was also like one bit that I did that I'd never, there was like a line in it that I'd never nailed because I didn't never quite figure out how to make that one little bit work. And then just on that night, I just did it differently. And I I remember walking off on that semi-final night like, yes, I did it. I think I finally got that one bit working. I was really stoked about that. And then, you know, people said to me that they they thought I did really well and, that, you know, that I've grown and gotten better. And that was that was great. That was enough for me, I think. But, you know, my customers are competing. You don't know. I know that I did my best. Yeah, I was interested just how those two sort of things happened, you know, 18 months apart and how you felt individually both times. Yeah, I think by the time the second one came around, I was less like, because I feel like I did a lot of school changes when I was at high school. And I sometimes would get this, the same feeling of like reciting a speech, like I'm reciting jokes. And like if I felt like that on stage, I'd be like, yeah, this is gross. I don't feel like that. Yeah. Um, and so for me, the first one, it's like I'm up there reciting jokes. I'm saying the words, basically. And, you know, trying to manage that adrenaline and just trying to get comfortable. But then by the end of it, it was like, oh, wait a second. I can actually play this and enjoy it. What's your um, favourite place to perform? Or where is your favourite place to perform? Well, I mean, it's I do like the classic. I do, I do enjoy it a lot. It's a great venue. You yes, know? it is, yeah. You know, I would like the toilets to be nicer, but it's a nice place. <laughs> yes. I do enjoy performing there, and it's a crowd that they're ready for comedy. Um, I have to say, um, I am also really enjoy like doing the random gigs like this one at the football yeah. club yesterday can i gonna go in a football club i don't know just to find out yeah i kind of like doing some of those random ones that come up out of nowhere i never do well at ding dong ever <laughs> i just am not 
I'm not cool enough, man. I am not cool enough to do that. I don't think that's the issue at Ding Dong. (laughs) I don't think it's about a lack of being cool. You don't have that kind of I don't care kind of attitude. And it's like I go there and I do this sort of like suburban mum jokes. (laughs) People are like, we can't relate, man. (laughs) It's just not cool enough to even go well there. I don't know what the hell is relatable material at Ding Dong. <laughs> I have no idea. Like dodgy, dodgy jokes. It's it's yeah. where I think it's where it's, and I've done it myself there. To be honest, it's where it's like fun to, you, when you have those ideas of jokes, you think this is probably too edgy. But yeah. if I'm going to try it out, I'm going to try it out at Ding Dong because I won't get hit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. I think win win. Joel, um, Joel's mm. one. That's nice. Because yeah. it doesn't take a lot. Like, you can have a fairly small crowd there, but it still feels really nice, you know? Whereas in some places, if you have a small crowd, it's, like, really obvious. <laughs> You're just performing to two people in this people. row. <laughs> like, oh, okay. Let's be friends. <laughs> <laughs> Which is all you can do, right? <laughs> Try and make friends with the audience when it's that small. Yeah, that's true. So do you have a, um, a sort of end gate, a sort of plan for your comedy career? Um, no, I don't think I have a plan. But like I said, I like um, hmm, I like sort of tinkering with it. And that's what's the best thing. And in saying that, I suppose I'm quietly ambitious and that shit, I'll take it as far as it goes. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If I get to Wembley, how yet? I'm not going to not go in that direction, obviously. No, absolutely. But if I can keep sort of just making things that are interesting to me and interesting to other people, then, yeah, that's fine. I didn't really get to travel very much overseas in my teens and in my 20s. So I do think it would be quite cool if I had a show that I could, like, do Mm. at little festivals and, like, spend a year doing that and be really cool to, like, see what it's like performing in other countries and and also it'd be good to kind of catch up with you know people that you know overseas and I think that would be a really lovely thing to do I'd really like to do that one day tell your tell your husband you need to go on a family holiday to Australia and then just go and book about three or four (laughs) (laughs) is that your plan Darren well while I was here (laughs) well I am actually going to Australia in a a month's time so you never know (laughs) exactly That is but, a good idea, uh, though. Combine yeah. a family holiday. Yeah. It's actually quite funny because I actually said, "Oh, um, there's an open. There's this like a a, a, quiz, a a comedy thing on the Monday night," and the whole family just looked at me and went, <laughs> "You are fucking joking, aren't you?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drag them along. And the thing is, I've just left that hanging there. It, it's yeah. not gone away. I've just left it there. So um, we'll wait yeah. and see. And I'm not cool enough for my kids to listen, so they're never going to find out this conversation happened. So, uh, <laughs> still a secret. But have you got a plan to do a lot more gigs in and around Auckland, or to? I, I want to write a, a a show or do a fringe fest, a fringe mm-hmm. show with somebody. Or have you had any thoughts yeah. around that sort of stuff? I do. I have a show that I I don't like saying such a wanky thing to say, but I have a show that is in my head um, that I would like to kind of, yeah, do in a French festival or, you know, tour around. It's one, you know, we've talked a little bit about, like, 
um, you know, mental health and things like that. And um, so I, I have bipolar. I was diagnosed as having that about six or so years ago. And, um, you know, that's a whole process. I get diagnosed and all this stuff. And so I quite like, I always listen for jokes or material that people are doing about mental health and that they're doing about all of this kind of stuff. And I always take note of, you know, those articles you see online. It's like my personal struggle with sadness or, you know, whatever it is. And I've always had this kind of like this reaction of I don't, I kind of hate the low-hanging fruit. Mm. Like I really hate that. Um, you, you, do you know what I mean? Like when with me, I don't want to garner any like pity or I don't right. want anyone to feel sorry for me. And maybe I'm an asshole in that I don't think people would find it. Like if, I, I don't expect that people would listen to me talk about it and then go, oh, that really changed me and um, now I'm well. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I just have this kind of like real sort of negative reaction to it. So what I've been thinking about is like, I don't really like talking about it, but I do have kind of strong feelings about it. So how can I actually put that into a show? Like, how can I actually make that into meaning? I think like, the ultimate problem is that, yep, we should be talking about mental health, but I don't think a lot of people have got a lot to say about it. You know, what are you saying that hasn't been said before? Other than just like adding to the pile of like, here's this horrible thing that happened and I don't know. And so it's, it's tricky because... You know, you don't want to hide it. I don't think you need to hide it. You can talk about it with whomever. But that's the kind of thing that's sort of pretentiously in the back of my mind. I've got a couple of questions for you because funny, um, eh? this is purely personal interest as well because I got diagnosed with bipolar about four and a half, five years ago. Getting diagnosed later in life, mm. how did you find that journey? Well, did you find it confronting or... Did you get at this massive wave of relief or anything? Or what? Because yeah. I don't know about you. I went through my whole life going, there's something that's just not right with me. I don't know yeah. what it is. Why do I seem to be the one that's always involved in these really outrageous things that are going on? Mm. And everybody else has got their shit together. I'm the one that's always like not got yeah. my shit together. So how did you find that process of finding out later in life? You know, like I agree with you. I definitely had this feeling of like something is not right, and like you're saying, like I'm I'm the one over here, and the pe other people are over here. Kind of like you, you just there's this whole kind of unnameable, indescribable feeling that you have at all times, and I started getting it at high school really. Um. So yeah, I'm diagnosed later in life. But I knew something was wrong when I was at high school. I absolutely knew. But I 100% did not want to tell anyone. I never wanted to describe it. People that were, like, really close to me, you know, friends, family, relationships, never. I would never talk about it. It would just be like, hide, hide, hide. But then when I got to uni and I was doing my undergrad, um, there was a point where, like, those, those really dark kind of thoughts started really happening. And um, the first time that you get them is like a, like a it's so it's so intense. Um, and if you've never had it before, it's just 
oh, it just comes out of nowhere and it's like persistent and it never goes away. So at this point, I must be like 20, say 19, 20. And I went down to student health and <laughs> I went, I had this appointment with the doctor and I was like something, you know, I was, I was trying to explain like something's wrong. But at the same time, I didn't want anyone to, like, I didn't know what would happen. I had no reference point. So I wasn't, I was trying to like play down the kind of suicidal element of it. Because, you know, I don't want to be from like girl interrupted or some shit or like be the person that's in a psych ward. I want to be that person. So I was admittedly trying to play down the suicidal element, but I'm in this appointment at the end. The doctor just says, like, oh, I think uh, the problem with you is that uh, you're just stressed out about exams. <laughs> and he recommended that I take study seminars at the uni. <laughs> and, like, I, I think being diagnosed when I was 30 or 33, 4 or whatever, I was like, I knew this when I was 19, 20, and I was completely dismissed. And it made me not want to ever really talk about it again. It made me feel like it wasn't real, that maybe I was just like, you know, complaining for no reason. Um, and so, yeah, when you are diagnosed, I didn't feel like it was, I, I don't know, I didn't come home and be like, oh, my God, what a relief. Now I know what it is. Um, but I did kind of feel a little bit justified. Like I knew back then that something was wrong. Mm. Um, so I had that kind of like, yeah, justification kind of thing. And then the next part about it is like you go on this journey of finding the right medication, you know, like just it, that can be really hard as well because you don't necessarily get the right thing right away. And then when you're going to have that in order, the next thing is reflecting back. And do you have that, Darren? Like yeah. you just go back all yeah. your life and you realize like oh, what the life. fuck did I do and you just yeah. wish you could put it all right but you know you can't yeah yeah you can't put it right no and I mean I one of the sort of things that I had I don't know if you have it as well but because I didn't understand what was wrong I just hated myself fucking hated myself loathed myself you're not worthy of anything like all of this shit and it's pervasive i still think back now to some of the stuff that happened which i know yeah okay i, I did them i couldn't say oh this is the out of body per version of me yeah. that did this shit so i'm exonerated from it but i think back to some of the stuff and i just go oh my god fuck how, yeah. how, you know how did someone not punch me out or how did i not get arrested or how did i not get divorced or how to you know just think back to it and go and you try and justify it well I do anyway I try and justify it in my own mind going it's okay you couldn't do anything about it at the time but it doesn't stop you from going back and thinking about it and all of those kind of things there's like that's you know. what I think is interesting is like people who have mental health illnesses like we know about shame in a way that other people don't fucking know about like, we have a very intimate relationship with it. And it's this constant, like, I find myself going, like, I think back to situations and I'm like, what, did I have fucking free will at that point? 
like what was I doing and so then you just have this like but I still did it but yeah. what you know I still behaved like that and you just you just have it as a shame some of my best stories come out of actually some of that ridiculous behavior now that I have to so that's why I do actually some comedy on mental health and stuff like that to try and bring the humorous side out of it of mm. just people sometimes you tell them the ridiculous shit you did and they're like nah I kind of you've you've kind of embellished that story a bit so I, I fucking mm. have not I, <laughs> I seriously no. have not yeah, I did not embellish I did that I found myself at that place <laughs> but the thing that I when I decided to go on the journey to, to, to work out and I don't know if this is the same for you so this is why I'm really interested mm. I had no idea I didn't even have bipolar in the discussion I was like I think I've got ADHD. I'm probably on the spectrum. Um, And when I actually went to my first appointment and they went, yeah, there's probably some ADHD, but that's not the issue. I was like, what the (laughs) fuck is it? What is it? This isn't that I didn't have this part of the plan. And I know when I went to see my doctor before I went on this journey, I always remember he said, it's great for you to find out. But the hard part is then living with whatever you find out and, Mm. you know, Sometimes the discovery can be easy, can be harder than the not knowing. And I was like, no, can't be. <laughs> yeah, it was. yeah. It's the hardest part. And I'm still going through it. Like yeah. I've had to sit with myself, you know, as a 16, 17, 18 year old. And just knowing that this is someone who is so deeply, deeply confused and self hating. And I know it sounds like real fucking self helpy. But, like, I've actually had to, like, sit back there and go, oh, it's, I did what I thought I could do. But there's still that sadness that if only I was nicer to myself, if only I was yeah. honest about it, you yeah. know, because I don't, I don't really talk about it all that much. And I did do, the first time I did a joke last week, I mentioned it. And I was like, if I'm going to talk about it at all, I'm gonna, you know, you've got to start somewhere. But, yeah, I still, I don't think I'll ever lose that feeling of I don't want to be a burden on anyone. I don't want my crazy, you know, noisy thoughts to be inflicted on anyone else, you know? Yeah. So that's like a real hard thing to kind of reconcile. Now, comedy at the best of times can be challenging, right? You know, if, if anything can knock your self-confidence or your self-belief or anything, comedy is it, right? Because of that fact that you can sometimes put a lot of pressure on yourself. Do yeah. you find with having a mental illness like bipolar, you have to give yourself an extra break or you have to go, do you know what? I can't do this tonight for whatever reason and, and be able to cut yourself some slack. How do you find the challenges of doing you know, a, yeah. a challenging, let's call it, um, you know, um, performance like comedy and having, you know, what is a testing mental health condition at the same time? Mm. Well, one part is that I have pulled out of a show where I was like, I can't, like, my, I'm wired as all hell. Like, I can't do this. Um, so... That was a time that I said, listen, I can't go. And I just said, frankly, I was like, I just need to look after my mental health, which is funny to me because like 20 years ago, 
we never said the words mental health together. Like we never yeah. even said that as a vocab. So like I'm quite appreciative that we can actually say things like intrusive thoughts and racing thoughts yeah. and all of that. Um, so yeah, I have I have pulled out of a show for that reason before. Um, I try one of my main triggers is sleeplessness. If I don't yeah. sleep, um, I will go. I can become manic very quickly. It's like one bad sleep and I'm out for like a week. Um, so I try not to do too many shows in a row because I still have a day job. So, yeah. and I still have kids. So I've got to still be present for that. So I have to kind of just sort of listen to those kind of triggers. Um, and this, you know, like the other thing is that you've got to watch your, um, you've got to make sure you don't drink too much or, all of that's like it sounds lame but it makes a difference like if you actually pull back you will feel so much better um so it's kind of like just being sensible i think really it's, it's just being yeah sensible i remember the first time i talked about it was probably at the comedy this was talked about it to anybody i don't even know if i told extended members of my family for the first time, I think it was a comedy school. I'm like, no one knows me here. How about I just do a couple of jokes and see how it goes? And wow. if it doesn't go very well, I'll just ashamedly put it away and never talk about it again. And how did it feel when you started? It kind of felt a bit of a relief, a little bit, but also made me realise, well, hey, you know, there's probably a lot more people going. I, when I first started telling the jokes about the medications and stuff like that, and people left. I went, you shouldn't really know about these medications. And so in a way, you kind of then go, fuck how many people are on this type of medication and stuff like that for them to even know what Ritalin is or to know what this is. Well, I think what we found, I mean, I was quite, I was very pleased when you did your bipolar jokes because they weren't, I didn't have any bipolar jokes, but I was pissed off when you did your ADHD jokes because I thought I was the only <laughs> comedy person with ADHD. And then I've since found that almost... I would say 90% of stand-ups in Auckland have got ADHD. Yeah, I agree. We're all somewhat messed up. Yes. Do you think about power is that we are pretty in terms of symptoms? Because we're all a little bit ADHD. We're all a little bit like we can go into the psychosis. We do it all. We do it. And to your point earlier, Melissa, that when I did the jokes, I wanted them to be almost a joke on me type joke, if you know what I mean. I didn't want to go out and go, hey, guys, uh, I've got to tell you this time where I nearly jumped off a car park. You know, it was like, because one thing that the comedy school taught me was always try and leave people having a better night than when they came Mm. out, if Mm. you know what I mean. There's about four or five statements that are made during the comedy school. And one of them is, you know, always, you know, always understand that someone in the audience be, be careful of you know you can't cater for everybody but you know and, and for me I was like if I can raise awareness of it by making it funny without actually because I've had people come up to me and you I, I don't know whether you've had this yet where they've gone are you really bipolar I'm like no I, I'm just a wanker that just makes jokes about people with bipolar you know yeah. it's, it's kind of like um I always wanted people like you not to feel sorry for the fact that I had a condition. I actually wanted to 
half-educate people but make people laugh about the fact that, you know, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's actually, there's actually some stories that come out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I, I haven't really been vocal that much about it on stage yet, so it's still, like, very new. Um, and you know what? There's probably, like, you know, friends and family that don't know that I have it as well. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a new thing to talk about. But, like, it, <laughs> I don't know. But I just kind of have this thing of, like, you don't want to make you don't want it to be a bummer yes you know what I mean? and like yes. talking about it is quite often a bummer like mm. it's, it can be pretty grim <laughs> and oh, and it's like even even if you do make it funny on stage right um and you do a joke as uh, you do a suicide joke or something and you do make it funny and people laugh you still mentioned suicide on stage. Like you've still riffed. So it's just, I'm always, I still have this like conflict about it. You know, like how much do you talk about it? And and when you do talk about it, you know, what are your frames of reference? And, and I think I'm still figuring that out. And that's still very much like on my mind when I'm writing jokes now. So even yeah. if I'm not making a joke about it, I know it's in there. So that's kind of where I'm at while I'm writing jokes. Mm, Makes sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm writing a joke about vibrators, but really I'm thinking about existential dread. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like that's the title of this episode. What? I'm thinking of vibrators, but... <laughs> what, writing about vibrators while thinking about existential dread. <laughs> yeah, vibrators and existential dread. Shorten it. That's it. I'm in marketing, shortening it, guys. That's the other thing that the comedy school teaches you is to take as many words out of a joke until you can no longer tell it. Yeah. Yeah. It's true, though. It's a fun yeah. thing to do. Because like, I'm a bit of a, like, I, I always loved writing. Yeah. And that is really fun for me. It's like when I get to play around with, mm, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. Do you find your background in marketing has helped you in a bizarre way with comedy around how to shape and... <laughs> wordsmith and stuff like that uh no 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 i think comedy helps me with marketing okay yeah that's cool i think it probably does that i mean marketing really is just the right message at the right time to the right person right it's really always that a lot of the other stuff is like okay well done you did a you know certificate in google analytics you know like (laughs) but yeah and I that's kind of just what I like to do anyway you know that's how you know you've got to write joke because you just said that joke right there on stage to those people and they laughed and it's like an instant feedback loop could be the same though couldn't it the right message to the right people at the right time it's it's almost comedy-esque as well isn't it that's not so funny I preferred the but no it is really nice to kind of it is nice to be able to talk about sorry Oh, sorry, I was just saying to Darren, that wasn't as funny as Vibrators and Existential Dread. No. <laughs> I wasn't trying to compete for a, uh, a show title. <laughs> but um, for you, Melissa, where, where do you get your inspiration and how do you find time to write and develop content? Um, I have to make time to develop content. But 
to write content, you know, I've always I've got like the apps on my phone. So I'm just like, ha, 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 I'm in the garden center and this plant is really funny. Yes. And you go back later on and you go, what? I don't know. Like, there's one bit I think I keep looking at it and I'm like, I think that's funny, but I don't know why. <laughs> like a robot serves me coffee. Like, okay. So sometimes all these like random thoughts mm. that I don't understand the joke are actually like quite entertaining as well. They're like, okay, I'll try and write something about a robot serving me coffee. And I don't get it. Um, I find sometimes I go back to those ideas like literally two years later and suddenly yeah. you find the extra bit that works. I'm definitely like a write that I write things first before I go on stage. It's never worked for me to figure out the joke mm. on stage. It never does. <laughs> I tried it once. Oh, I try, yeah, I tried it a few times actually. Once at the Ding Dong. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. This is bad. <laughs> I need to be prepared. Um so yeah, I've always got, I mean, like I've got two notebooks here, my two notebooks that I just carry around with me and my phone. Um, so you just, I'm always like scribbling. And then when I think it's time to really do the joke, like actually develop it, I need to make time for it. And that's when I like to use the screen. Like that's mm. when I like to be like, because it's a lot easier to be like, you can split it up. And you can highlight that's the setup, that's the setup, that's the setup. I'm like, fuck, that setup's gone really long. And then you can see the pacing of it as well. You know, when you can actually pull that apart and move it around, that's what I think, you know, good old Google Docs is good for. Yes. So who have been your comedy influences over time? Uh, oh, let's play a game. You guess. Who do you think are my comedy influences? Ha <laughs> ha. Oh, man. I'll be... pick three. I'll pick three. Wait, yeah. Are they modern or are they uh, historical? <laughs> oh, yeah, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, fucking great guy. No. <laughs> um, they are modernish. Yeah. Modernish. They're well known. They are. <sighs> Not all alive. Matt, you watch more comedy than me. You'd be better at this game than me. My mind is blank. It's been a while since I've seen you perform, Melissa. <laughs> I'm trying to see. I'm trying to think of your style. I know. I'm just really curious. This is oh, my word. <laughs> male or female? Uh, the three that are in my mind are male. Actually. Right. Oh, okay. Mm. Um, well, that's helpful to know. So I was definitely going down the wrong One track. is male-ish was male but is not male now eddie isard correct ah cool one of mine as well yeah absolutely um absolutely i'll never forget wasps making jam that was um that joke was like probably the first time i nearly died laughing when really? i was a kid yeah. mine was the, um have you got a banana <laughs> die laughing and it's so dumb i rewatch it now i still rewatch it yeah 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 and you're like it's just so simple and dumb and it's so good yeah okay um if, you, if the other two would be on a similar line to eddie is okay. a different style um one that's very influential on me is also i'd say is quite controversial at the moment ricky gervais Ricky DeVace is, was, but 
Well, more the offense was. Louis C.K.? <laughs> Louis C.K., man, he always had this energy that was, like, not right. Yes. <laughs> it was yeah. always not right, eh? And when all that stuff came out, it was like, yep, 100% believe, <laughs> you know? No, well, I don't like to say these things, but no one was surprised. Yeah, yeah I, was, I don't know. If you're um, – God, no. Um, I nearly said Bill Cosby, but no. God, you're going down that track. Well, he's controversial right now. That's why. He's controversial. Okay, this one's also known as the goat. My God, how do you not know who this is? I know. Terrible memory. It's not good, um, is it? Uh, okay, Dave Chappelle. I was going to uh, say Dave Chappelle and I thought, no. Oh, yeah. God. Dave Chappelle God. is, I get it. He does say some shit that is wrong. Oh. I was so frustrated with myself because he was in my mind and I just thought, no, it won't be him. Well, it was. Oh, well. <sighs> All right, He's... Jerry Seinfeld is your other one. No. I no, my Jerry other Seinfeld. one. My other one would be Bill Hicks. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Bill Hicks was like, as soon as people knew, you know, like when I was in my 20s, as soon as people knew that I did comedy, they'd love to tell me that Bill Hicks was like greatest comedian of all time. <laughs> it was like, yeah, cool. Did you just listen to Tool? Is that why you're saying that? <laughs> um, and so, like, I refused. I refused to listen to Bill Hicks. Absolutely refused. Um, and then someone, like, handed me, like, a um, burned CD, and it was great. And I was like, all right, so I was wrong about Bill Hicks. But it wasn't until I actually saw him, like, saw video footage of him yeah. perform that it was like, oh, shit, this guy is great. Like and I still I will rewatch him forever. Do you know what? I had a very similar moment to that. I refused to watch Robin Williams because I was just like, hate zany American comedy, just no, not interested. And then one day we were at work and someone said, Oh, we're taking some customers out and uh we've bought tickets to see Robin Williams. I was like, Oh my god, shoot wow. me now. What do I want to watch this shit for? Fuck, mm. he was amazing. I was like, yeah. you absolute loser. Like, yeah, he's I think not Robin Williams. Lindy on TV. He's not, that's not who he is, or something yeah. like that. It wasn't until I actually saw him live on stage, which I was very lucky to be able to do one. Mm, mm. Oh my God. I was like, how wrong could I be about somebody? That's amazing. He's like definitely an influence because he's such a fucking zeitgeist. For like my generation, and mm. he's just like, and even if he's in a bad film, he's still like, that's Robin Williams. Like you, yeah. no wrong. <laughs> I just hate zany comedy like Mrs. Doubtfire and all. I was like, yeah. oh yeah. god, I couldn't think of anything worse to go and watch two hours of that. But then you realise how sharp he is as a stand-up comedian. You yeah. go, yes. yeah. When Jim Carrey called him like the fastest gun in the West. Yeah. Something. Jim Carrey was quite an influence when I was a kid. Mm. I thought he was great. I haven't seen much of his stand-up, actually. No. I've seen, like, maybe the old clip on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised I've seen a set. Surprised yeah. there was more of it around. But he's uh, he's one of those ones who's gone a bit quiet recently. Well, mm. gone a bit quiet. He's retired. He's gone. He's gone. He's retired. There you go. Mm. So... Do you have any shows coming up that you'd like to promote or anything that you've got going on in the near future? 
Nope, I don't have any shows going on. I'm just popping up around whenever I can. Um, yeah. yeah, so I don't have I don't have anything to promote. I'm just happy, you know, tinkering and yeah, saying hello. And we should all keep an eye out for a potential French show sometime in the future, I reckon. Yeah, one day. It is terrifying to think about, like, how do you put on a French show like that? It's got to be, like, I just need a mic and a stand. Yeah, loads of people have done it. I'm sure they'll be be able to give you advice, and I'm sure it is literally just as easy as that and finding the venue. I think the first thing is committing to doing it and going, this is it. Yeah. In X, yeah. I'm going to have this done type thing. Yeah. Like any, any sort of project, isn't it? I guess. But uh, we should probably do another somebody on to tell us how to do a fringe show. Yes. I think Neil's actually done something like that, hasn't he? Is there anything else you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. It's just been nice chatting, really. Thanks for the thanks for having me and listening, just talking about I don't know, mental illness and comedy. <laughs> two great tastes that taste great together yeah absolutely well thanks so much for coming on and um sharing your story with us yeah look forward to seeing you back out there i say back out there that's what, like when i'm back out there yeah when are we gonna see you <laughs> when uh, when i've got time mm. i actually want to get back out <laughs>